Welcome back, universe. It's the SFBCPC S1. That's an abbreviation for Sci-Fi Book Club Podcast Season 1. On today's episode, we'll be talking about Dune Messiah, written by Frank Herbert in Earth Year 1969. There's a star, there's a And joining me, as always, via holographic projection, it's John Love. Hi, John. Hi. Hey, uh, what's going on, John? Oh, you know, not a whole lot. I don't know. Still got a little bit of the the sickness I was mentioning last time that we did this. Um, Still still not uh, holographically projecting very well, I don't think. But, you know, something you get to deal with. That projection virus... Yeah, the projection virus. Yeah. Uh, PV. A real, yeah. real threat to the projection universe. Yeah, I, I, I don't mean to trivialize it at all, but I, I did see that your your hashtag holographic projection lives matter had, in fact, gone viral. <laughs> well, it was only fitting. <laughs> yeah, it's a matter of time. It's sort of a self completing prophecy there. Yeah. Well, I, I hope that, uh, you know. Whatever befalls you, it's for a reason, and you'll be a better person for it. Well, I, I hope to be at least a better holographic projection for it. Yeah, I'm I, not planning I, anything about personhood, but well, I hope yeah. so. Thank you. Yeah, don't give any water to the dead for me. I, oh, I, oh, I won't. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, you know what? I, I, I don't normally talk about this, but um, don't don't want to pull the curtain back on the podcast too much. But and literally, these curtains that are over our windows, I, I like to keep them closed. That's uh, true. You don't want too much sunlight to get in here because then you won't even be able to see me. Yeah, I yeah I, I like it dark, cave like even. But yeah, uh, all, all that to say, so um, at the beginning of every every ep, that's an abbreviation for episode. We we sing a song to, to introduce the podcast, and those are all songs that our friend uh, Dyson meticulously researches every between every episode. He puts in the time and and finds us an appropriate song to sing to get things going. I say that all because uh, our friend Dyson's here today. Hey, what up? Hi, Dyson. Hey, what up? Hey, Dyson. He's my he's what my up? <laughs> He's your favorite teammate? Oh. Yep. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Dyson, you gotta I mean, eat, eat that I mean, mic. He's my favorite co-host, but Dyson's definitely my favorite teammate. I'm gonna use that mic. 
Okay, yeah. Eat that mic. <laughs> Eat that mic, brother. Eat it. Why are you eating the mic? Yeah, I think you should tell like the audience why we pick this song today. Well, you pick it. You should tell, I know, you should tell but the audience why I don't. I don't. It. I don't want to tell audience of sad news. So no, it's, it's up to you. It's, it's nine hundred years in the future, brother. <laughs> people, people are pretty well over the some random rock star. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just woke up, guys. What what have you been doing, uh, Dyson? You've you've uh, we first met you several several eps ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was you know just floating in a you know either floating in a universe you know somewhere. Uh, I just recently watched a bunch of Star Wars movies. You know, feel like I need to be the you know to be walking in a, on the universe again. So the documentary Star Wars. Yeah, the documentary on Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> okay, how how are you liking that time cage that we've been keeping you in that you sleep in every night? Oh my god, yeah, that's that's I like I like it. I like it a lot actually. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, nice meet you guys. <laughs> All right, bye. I specifically asked Dyson if he wanted to sit in today because uh, today we're we're going back to a familiar place. We're going back to the Duneverse, John. The Duneverse. Duneverse. That's right, Dyson's Duneverse is becoming a theme with them. Dyson, so uh, for those of you who may not know, our friend Dyson, uh, we first met. He's traveling through time from originally, I guess, from the 1980s in China. Have you yourself actually been to the Duneverse? Oh, it's you know it's kind of far, and um, I'm I'm a I'm a lazy traveler. Uh, I just basically walking on the moon, being on Mars, and uh, I'm not really you know go that far. It's Kind of far. Yeah. Yeah. You made it all the way here. You crossed a lot of time and space. You think you took the Galactic Center, not like 20 years in the future. That was, you know, just a bad science experiment in China back in <laughs> 1980s. <laughs> I, I seriously can't, I mean, now I can, you know, control a little bit, but not much. I wish I could go to Dune. You said you wish you could go to Dune? Yeah, of course. Why? Yeah, what would you do there specifically? Or sandworms. <laughs> you like sandworms? Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's. I don't know. I feel like I want you know miso man. Well, sorry, we can't provide sandworms on the pod. <laughs> yeah, all the music from your time and your time cage, but it's not enough apparently. Yeah, and all, all we have is these just regular worms. <laughs> I mean, that's what you're eating, right? Just regular worms. <laughs> yeah, that's all. We, that's all that we give Dyson to eat. That's right. And that's not good enough for you, huh? I don't know what else we can do for you, Dyson. Oh my god! I mean, honestly, if you could request anything in your time cage besides <laughs> the regular worms and the music from your time that we're giving you, what would it be? <laughs> uh, that's it's it's a it's a tough question. Oh. Well, what are your needs? Are you thirsty? Uh, you want some of Carolyn's sweet tea? <laughs> I want some chewa. This episode brought to you by Carolyn's sweet tea. Oh, again? Carolyn's sweet tea. It goes good with worms. How about how about the beet tea? What does that pair with? Carolyn's beet tea. It goes well with music from the 1980s from Earth. Carolyn's beet tea. Perfect. Sorry, David Bowie. Hashtag Bowie, Bowie Lives Matter. Uh, hashtag Beats for Bowie. Yeah, that's a good one. And and we mean B E E T S. Beats. Yes. Uh the beats are for Dr. Dre or the other thing. That's right. Something entirely different. 
Dune Messiah. Uh, it's the sequel, you could say, to Dune. Okay. I would say it. Okay. Second in the Dune series, though this is as far as we have gotten thus far. How many are there total? Six? Six, maybe. Seven. And then his son apparently started writing several. Yeah, that, that doesn't count. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I hate that guy. Yeah, you can get the hell out of here with that shit. Exactly. So, the universe belongs to Frank Herbert and Dyson. And no one else. Yeah. And they rule it with a <laughs> limpid aluminum fist. And a gola. <laughs> oh, golas. Gola Gola. <laughs> Gola Gola Island. <laughs> I thought that's that should have been the name of the book, really. Gola Gola Island. Gola Gola Island. Uh, so on, on what's on Gola Gola Island? Well, you got Golas. What else? And then more Golas. Yep. And stand. That's what makes an island. That seems pretty accurate, actually, based on Dune. Um, okay, here's the thing. Uh, Dyson, have you read Dune Messiah? No, I feel like I, I could, you know, represent the audience who didn't read the book. I'll be the question master. Just ask a question. Question master Dyson! <laughs> is, that, is that a new... That's segment? a new segment, and now we're here with question master Dyson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, what's up, so question master? Yeah, what's a, what's a connection between the... No, could, we, could you just remember, like, remember us... The ending of the first book, like how the two books connected. Sorry, what was the question? You know, just remind us what's uh, what's going on in the first book and uh, what's the connection between these two books. So we have the same characters. Same characters. Uh, Paul Atreides Paul. ended the first book by killing one of the Harkonnens, I believe, Fade Rautha. Yeah. Oh, uh, and um, Baron Harkonnen died too. And then what was sort of what was being set off or what was about to happen was that Spice Paul was going to go on a sort of jihad. Mm-hmm. Um, there were characters, the Fremen on Dune, who some of them maybe didn't want that to happen, but then the other Fremen people did. And the new book, like 12 years after the end of the last book, after Paul has taken over a very, very large section of the galaxy. And now for the last page of Dune... Uh, this is spoilers. Audiobook. See that princess standing there, so haughty and confident? They say she has pretensions of a literary nature. Let us hope she finds solace in such things. She'll have little else. A bitter laugh escaped Jessica. Think on it, Channy. The princess will have the name, yet she'll live as less than a concubine, never to know a moment of tenderness from the man to whom she's bound, while we, Channy... We who carry the name of concubine, history will call us wives. That's not what I remember, but... Sweet. Yeah. But that is a pretty good way to get into it, because I think the book sort of opens with uh, a bunch of people plotting against Paul Maud did. He, like I said, he, um, it said 12 years after the end of that book, and Paul has taken over a part of the galaxy in a religious jihad and has killed billions of people. Yeah. Um, and so there's a bunch of people, including the lady Jessica, who is involved in a plot, who are involved in a plot to end Paul, basically, or end his reign so that, you know, that Alex can be free. Yeah, yeah, so, um, two things, just to, for, for me to get into this, you know, I, I think that when, um, 
Dyson and Steve were here with us talking about Herb and Lynn, actually. Oh, that's we, a good episode, by the way. Yeah, good good ep. Yeah. Great ep. We talked a lot about Paul as a hero character and how he was trying to prevent this jihad. And then so we jump into this book. Well, and actually, John, also in the book, when we when we did just our Dune episode, we talked a whole lot about that that little idea that Frank Herbert had that was saying the the last thing that Dune needs is a hero, and, and saying that Paul is this kind of anti-hero and et cetera. And then so here we are in Dune Messiah, and yeah, this this religious jihad has happened. Paul has in some way been responsible for millions or billions of deaths, whatever. I, I thought it was just nice because that was definitely a theme that we picked up in Dune itself. And then here it was in Dune Messiah. The other thing, though, just to go back to Herb and Lynn, which Dyson, you were around for. I feel like I talked a lot in Herb and Lynn about how how David Lynch had represented different characters in his movie, such as the Gilded Navigator which was that, like, creepy-looking creature in a tank. Whereas, like, I opened Doom Messiah, and what is there? There's a creepy-looking fish man in a tank. It's like, oh, he went to the source, unlike me, who was just spewing off what I thought he did right or wrong. So, I mean, that, that was actually really nice to see. It seemed like a lot of stuff in Herb and David Lynch's movie uh, was actually pulled from Doom Messiah, so... Right, yeah, I was going to mention the same thing, because I really listened to that podcast recently, too, and yeah, we definitely criticized him for a while, like, oh, that's David Lynch being a big goof, yeah. uh, going back to the fetus monsters that he loved so much. Yeah, he knew better than we did. He had the prescient vision of the future books. Like, there, was a, there was a whole other scene describing Paul as the emperor, and sort of what his court looks like, just, and what he's wearing, and what all these other people are wearing, and I think, again, in David Lynch's movie with the emperor at that time and this royalty, it seems like he just went to Dune Messiah and here's the description and, and he used it where these dummies might have just uh, said whatever we thought and, uh, and and not gone to the source. So I was I was actually really happy to see some of that stuff show up here. Definitely. If, if we had David Lynch as a guest, that might be his axe to grind section, us criticizing his movie yeah. when we had no right to. Which, he'd be fair. I think that... For me, reading this book, too, uh, it, it's built on Dune as the first book, but I, I definitely had a lot of things in Dune in my head a lot more, and so I, I did feel like I was just reading Dune Messiah in a certain way, like, looking for certain things in particular, because I'm taking notes also, and so I started my same list as I did in Dune, like, where does he say coffee? Where does he say plans within plans? You know, stuff like that that showed up before. Um, I, I think just the thing I want to say about that is, like, it's a pretty different book, actually. And then this one, you know, at the end of the last one, it does set Paul up as this hero character to some extent. Whereas in this one, it, like, tears him down as that same thing. Right. In the last one, he was more of, like, a reluctant hero. And in this one, he's sort of, uh, I mean... Almost a reluctant anti-hero, so he sort of he sort of makes that transition in those twelve minutes that we don't. Where he goes from, I know what's going to happen here. It's going to be terrible, and then twelve years pass. That terrible stuff did happen, and now he has to kind of almost attack, undermine himself, 
kind of kind of fix things, kind of get off the path of just butchering that you've been waiting across the galaxy a while now. This, this book definitely is quite a bit different, but but crazy. I mean, much shorter for one. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm not counting pages, but if I was, I would say it's like 500 pages. That's that's all. Not not. Okay. Okay. But we'll get there. People are clamoring for it. Literally clamoring. I know they want to win that prize, you know, that Carolyn Sweet Tea prize pack. Prize pack, yeah. <laughs> Dyson, uh, have you ever had that Carolyn Sweet Tea? No. No, yeah. You like it? We have a lot here. Aw. We just, we only give you plain worms, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just all the plain worms. But we do uh, give the worms Carolyn Sweet Tea. That's right. So they should taste a little bit like it. <laughs> like those, uh, what are those candy with the, those gummy candy with the... Gushers? Gushers! Gosh. They're like fruit gushers, but they're worms. Exactly. They're delicious. Worm yeah, gushers. Yeah, speaking of worms, there's very little worm talk in this book. I know. Which... Uh, one is stolen from the planet, dude. Yeah. Wow. And then they... They talk about what might befall Paul in the desert, yeah. and they talk about him then, but that's about it. Yeah, which, again, I mean, this was actually where it was really hard for me to read this book without just thinking of everything that we talked about for the last one. So I'm pretty sure that our prediction for this book, what would happen in it, is that it would just be a whole 800 pages describing in great detail how sandworms... Uh, move their what they eat uh how, how do they move through the sand uh what's their favorite thing to do basically well, lots of couldn't have been more wrong exactly again so again admitting we're completely 100 percent way off on both criticizing david lynch's film and predicting the sequel to dune yeah, i think we've learned nothing in all this time reading books yeah it's just based on david lynch's you know, the movie, the sandworm looks pretty... It could be, the, you know, one of the coolest creatures in the movie history. Coolest creature in movie history? Yeah, let's... Yeah, wow, the... What would be the second coolest in movie history? Godzilla, maybe. Godzilla. <laughs> I don't know. What would be the third? I don't know. Dinosaurs? <laughs> you asking back to me. It's open to the floor. Yeah. The third coolest creature in movie history. I'm going to go with... The uh, fetus monster in the new movie by Legend. Hey, where the, where the hell did he get that dumb idea? <laughs> Stupid idiot. He's making up gross monsters for no reason. What's he even know about making movies? Nothing as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> There's a few things in this one uh, that i uh, pretty interested in. Just like, there's an early on quote from Paul, who is now the... Well, just a, just a quote off of his CV... He's now the emperor. He's the uh, what the the Dib of the Fremen, which is their like messiah. He is the uh, what's the Benny Gesserit Quizats Hatterach. Mm-hmm. He, he's all this stuff and more. Uh, he's a mentat. Yes. Unfortunately, there was no mention of the term Dom Dubar in this book, but I really like that term from last book. And uh, as of 12 years later, he still passed the Gamma Jabbar test. Yeah, yeah. So, good job. Yeah. And so he, like, it, it says he's all of these things, 
But then at some point, pretty early on, there's this quote straight from him that says, I can give you the one sentence. Let's see if I can give it to you in context. He says... You want the context? you got to read the whole book. Yeah. Quote, I belong to a vision. And I think he's talking specifically about being Muad'Dib with the Fremen. Um, basically saying, no, I belong to a vision. There, There's this role that I have to fulfill, like, regardless of maybe the person, Paul Atreides, I, I belong more to this vision than to myself or to you, you and I, or whatever else. And and so I would say the whole book, like, is partly just Paul negotiating how he fulfills or doesn't fulfill these different, like, roles that are set for him, um, that people kind of demand of him, and then how that plays out. Right. I think that idea is really, really important. Because there he's talking about, on one hand, this vision of himself as a messiah that everybody follows him in the galaxy is following, but also his prescient vision. He talks often, when you're in the book, like hearing things from his perspective, you hear a lot about, um, I know what's going to happen here, essentially, and it's going to be terrible, and I'm going to have to deal with it regardless of the circumstances, but there's no way for him to step off of that path still. So yeah. I think that has something to well, later in the book, he also loses actual sight in the vision. So I think vision is a pretty big uh, part in all the arc in this book. I think I think that's a that's a very good point. But you know, because you are you are uh, you you talk through a hologram, you try to uh, stay steady from the microphone <laughs> so we can get better sound. <laughs> you're saying is you couldn't hear me. We can't hear you, but we get some, you know, like temporarily loss. Yeah, it's that. It's I out. told you that's the virus. That the virus. Fun, like, <laughs> so how do you? Uh, how is that? How is that virus spread? Is it? Uh, is it com- communicable? Non communicable? Uh, yeah, sexually transmitted. Crap! Wow. Well, I'm gonna. And s- as we mentioned last podcast, I know. Whole volume of information that happens, but you guys are definitely breathing me in right now. Ugh. Like so, okay. How how does that work? Like, uh, is, is it truly like a gas? Like, would you actually go in and out of our lungs? Of course. Oh, that's what that feeling yeah. is. I can't I'm fight it. Y'all from the inside. <laughs> Always. That's what it feels like—a big hug on the inside. So it's, it's like an asthma. Today, or at least as the last time. A virus hugging on the inside. So I, I do think that another thing in this book, uh, just kind of what I was saying about um, David Lynch's film and, and where some of these sources are, I do think that a couple of my questions from the last time, too, were to some extent answered in this one. Uh, one of those ones being what relationship the Duneverse has to the Earth universe. <laughs> And uh, in this one, there were a couple mentions. They didn't really actually ever dive into it, but a couple times where the Golden Age of Earth was mentioned. Never really explained exactly. I mean, in the appendix to the last one, it did sort of say, this is the future, here's these histories. But um, there were a couple references back. Oh, and then also to Genghis Khan and Hitler, uh, which was threw me for a little bit of a loop, but Paul was saying, like, I've killed more people than Genghis Khan. I've killed more people than Hitler. I've killed more people than your mom. 
uh, you know, um, I've killed more people than the holographic projection virus. Which? And now it's time for this week's listener challenge. Uh, hi everyone. Hi John. Uh, I'm John, and with me as always is Brent and this week Dyson. Hi Brent. Hi Dyson. Hi John. Hey John. I'm I'm taking a more formal segment now. I hope you guys are okay with that. It's unprecedented. Well, well welcome to my world. Um, so, your question for this week, uh, your listener challenge, is just how many people has Paul Mwadib killed during his jihad, obviously? Oh, okay. Not hand-to-hand. Yeah, we don't, don't uh, count... Uh... Yeah, of course, it's going to be an estimate. I'll give you to the closest billion. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, of course, the answer is 61 billion. Uh, of course, that's a conservative estimate, but, you know, I trust the Met has it all... Um, you know, they did he talks to and comes up with these figures with, so it's right, basically. This is an accurate figure, uh, 61 billion, if you can refute that, uh, then you call us and we'll give you a prize pack including lots of Carolyn sweet tea, maybe some Carolyn B tea, and uh, Dyson will share some of those worms with you. How, ma- how many uh, worms? that was this week's listener challenge. <laughs> Thanks, John. Really great listener challenge. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. And uh, and I and I would say that your your more formal approach is now precedented. All right. Good. Well, let's stick with it. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The reason I brought that up then also is that that was the same section he was talking about basically how many people the famous. Butchers of Earth had killed, including Khan. He doesn't actually say Adolf Hitler. He says A Hitler, which is kind of funny, like an abstracted form of talking about Hitler, which is funny. Singular Hitler. Yeah. Uh, just, I don't know, Hitler. Yeah. Um, yeah, also, Paul says that he killed 61 billion, sterilized 90 planets, completely demoralized 500 others. Uh, wiped out the followers of 40 religions which had existed since, etc. Yeah. So, this one of the well, one of the times that he talks about how he's kind of getting bad about all this sort of havoc that he's wreaked across the... Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do think that... Um, um, well, there's a, there's a bunch of lines in there, too, then. I think that there's this interesting relationship, again, about, like what Paul in his prescient visions sees coming and wants to either avoid or make happen. And, and then like the reality of that universe around him and whether that's like violent or no, or, or whatever, there's a couple different times where there's, there's lines stating like, well, one basically says like, the, the universe would never agree with the shape that Paul gave it, or, like, it wouldn't stick, or, like, any any universe made in his image would ultimately fail. And so on the one hand, you've got him with prescient vision, he's killed and uh, sterilized, etc., all these planets and people, but at some point, it's it's a blip on the map like it's it's not a it's not a thing like it 
uh, it, it'll fail at some point. So even though he seems like he controls everything, uh, there's there's an end even to that tyranny or jihad or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, for sure. It's uh, that, that is a weird thing that I feel like is happening with this book is that there's almost nobody that has a real clear idea of what they kind of want to shape the future as. Yeah. Like Paul himself is trying to undermine himself in some way because he doesn't want us to continue. And then there's this big plot to try and undermine him as well that he's a little bit complicit in. Like he wants to see that happen, but wants it to happen on different terms. Um, so that's kind of interesting. There's, like you said, a lot of plots, but none of them that have a clear sort of directive until the very end of the book. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting to do. Yeah. Because even if you're rooting for, quote-unquote, the good guy, Paul, um, I mean, are you rooting for him to, uh, I don't know, like, continue to kill people and continue this jihad, uh, rooting for him to come to some other sort of resolution? It's just really unclear the whole time, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is interesting for uh, this book. Yeah, like, uh, you know, almost the very first scene in it, we see... Uh, Princess Arulin, we see the skilled navigator, this face dancer, um, I forget his name, Skytail. We see mm-hmm. a that Benny Jesuit. So yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, great point. Man, I'm glad that we nailed it. The audio recording was perfect. The yeah. virus went away momentarily. Everything was fantastic. Well, you sound I mean, some of the some of the best content we've had on this podcast to date. Agreed. Can't be. It sounds like your your virus just cleared up all of a sudden, John. Right? Yeah. I mean that that genius segment that we had. Uh, that's what did it. That's Frank right. Herbert would give water to the dead for that. Exactly. That's he, how good it was. His own his own tears. He would he would he would shed that water. Exactly. Because yeah, we earned it. We really did. That was some of the best podcasting of all time, as far as I'm concerned. Agreed. And I've listened to 900 years of your Earth bullshit mm-hmm. podcasts, yeah. and this is the best that it ever was. I think I think the uh, the we'll, we'll be justly rewarded in the space Emmys. <laughs> in the space-time continuum. Yeah. At the very beginning of this book, we're set up with this cast of characters, a couple that we know and a couple that are new to Dune Messiah. There's the Princess Arulin, who we know. There is the Bene Gesserit High Priest, I forget her name. We've met Helen her before. Helen Gaius Monham. Is she, like is she the one who gave the, uh, the, uh, Gam Jabbar? Was that her? Yep. The old Gam Jabbar. Exactly. Uh, then we meet this guild navigator who... So, in the last book, we had never seen in person, but we see a guild navigator now. Fishman. Right. Edric. Yep. And a face dancer, uh, Skytail, who can take on any person's face and whole body. I don't know why they're face dancers, if they can... Whole, whole body dancers is more like it. I don't know why he didn't call it. I think it was already existed, whole body dancers. They were just called dancers. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. I mean, if I was there trying to spot a face dancer, I would take take a note from uh, 
good old Shakira. Yeah. The hips don't lie. Mm-hmm. They always have a little bit of a weird gait to them. Mm-hmm. If they're pretending to be somebody else. Yeah. It's all in the hips. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you that's how you spot uh, Mystique when she's uh, you know looking like Wolverine or whatever. Exactly, all in the hips. You heard it here first, universe. And by first, I mean you didn't hear hear it here first because you heard it from Shakira in your own time. Our Our Lady Shakira. R.I.P. Blessed be her name. She just she just passed away today. By the way, I don't know. I don't know. Should we? Is that a spoiler? Should we not reveal that? <sighs> yeah. She was one, so yeah, we already mentioned, who was it? Um, we've mentioned several celebrities from your current time that are alive in our presence. Oh, yeah. Here was one of them until today. Yeah, it was a... She finally passed at the age of 930 or 40-something. Mm-hmm. 900 and beautiful. You should go wait decades to deal with that long. Yeah. 900 plus. So, let's see. I, well, I guess, okay, that cast of characters at the very beginning... As I was reading that, and based on our conversation about Dune, where neither of us, like, I don't think there was any reason to like Paul a whole lot. I don't think Frank Herbert set him up that way. And so as I was reading that very first chapter with these conspirators planning to overthrow Paul, I was just like, right on, let's let's do this. Um, and so I would say at first, I just assumed that these were like... Uh, the heroes of the book or the protagonists anyway. And then when we go back and see Paul again, he's with his wife, Chani. How do you pronounce that? I'd say Chani. Okay. And it's, and he seems a little bit at least remorseful that he's slaughtered billions of people across the galaxy, across the universe. How many people are in the universe, by the way? How many people are in the universe, would you say? Now? In the Duneverse. In the Duneverse. Oh, I'd say 15 and a half trillion. Wow, that's a lot of people. Or Thank you. creatures. That's not this week's listener challenge, because there's no way our listeners could know that. No, I'm the question master. I can ask. Oh, yeah. I want. And now, Dyson, the question master. Yeah. How many people are in the universe? In our universe? In the universe. In the universe. 1.5 trillion? Is that a... I would say, how many people were slaughtered by Paul in the back in the Listener Challenge? Oh, that sounds like a lot. You want lot me to go people. back to the Listener Challenge? No, you know, just the numbers. This is unprecedented. You want me to actually do the whole soundtrack and all that shit? Well, whatever it takes for you to get the correct uh, answer, if it takes a sound effect. Sound effect. <laughs> I would almost be most comfortable if we could do it in the form of a Carolyn Sweet Tea commercial. Uh, okay. Do you want to start? Or should we... Get Carolyn. Sip? Hey, hey, universe. I'm Carolyn of Carolyn Sweet Tea. I just want you to know that Paul Maud did kill 61 billion people in the universe, and he wouldn't have been able to do it if he didn't have the refreshing delights of Carolyn Sweet Tea, the sweetest sweet tea in the universe. Sip? See you later. Wow, thanks. And we're back. Yeah, thanks, Carolyn. That's really helpful. 61 billion people, so... If 61 billion people have been slaughtered, uh, I would say that leaves uh, some more billions than that. At least 61 more billion. At least 70 billion people left in the universe. Wow. Easily. Plus or minus. I think I said 15 trillion when I... You said 15 trillion. We're talking trillions. I'm no mentat, so it's tough for me to figure that out. Yeah. 
So, okay, well, actually, related to Mintat, actually, I'm glad you said that. Uh, so, in this book, we learn that the creatures or the planet that the face dancers are from, they are experimenting with, let's say, what do you want to say? Uh, bringing uh, back from the dead? Bringing people back from the dead, uh, you, you could say. All, sort, all sorts of, like, biological modifications and engineering. Yeah. Because um, originally when they talked about the Gola, I imagine this sort of, like, almost Terminator character covered oh. in just a loose sheet of skin. Huh. And, uh, and yeah, it's obviously something much more elaborate than that. It's, it's more like a clone mm-hmm. than, um, than something that is more like a zombie, I guess. Yeah. That's, well, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I actually... I thought definitely more zombie character or like the classical golem, the resurrected flesh. But then, but yeah, it it definitely started to sound more like the cyborg, but very sophisticated human machine hybrid, but even more than that. So Mm -hmm. it it does seem like they're pushing the envelope of what's allowable after the Butlerian Jihad in which all computers were eliminated from the universe. Well, just for clarity, what would you call that uh, race of people? The Bene Tlilax? Tlilaxians? Tlilax. And yeah, they're from... Tlilax. Tlilax. Tlaxu. They're Tlaxu face dancer. Yeah, and at certain point, sometimes they call them the Bene Tlilax also. Yes. Which I didn't quite understand if that was a, is that a different kind of sect like the Benny Gesserit, or do you know? I don't I'm know. assuming so, but who yeah. knows what all Frankie Herbs is up to. Right. Again, no one knows what he's up to. Exactly. But that's the thing. Even though there were some questions answered in this book that were raised in the last one and, and never were answered, for instance, what the um, Guild Navigators look like, mm-hmm. yeah, just as many questions are raised in this book. Like, who the hell are the Benny Tylax, and why, or how are they so powerful? It seems like they're kind of the main antagonist in this book, yeah. Because they like the two characters that they that they introduce or manufacture really are some of the most conniving. Uh, they're the ones that have plants within plants. Whoa, hey, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, that that idea that was like I said that was one of those things that I was looking out for was plans within plans because I saw it early on where he was like, oh, visions within visions, and so I started taking notes. But then it, it definitely. I would say in this one started to devolve a little bit. So at some point it was like, Oh, there's our attendants have got attendants. Oh, our shadows have got shadows. Our spies have got spies. Our copy has copy. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Sandworms riding sandworms. That would be amazing. That sounds great. I want to make some fan fiction of that. Yeah, please. And by fan fiction, I mean porno. Sandworms riding sandworms. Wow. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's the grossest thing I can ever <laughs> imagine. Because how many legs are involved? Zero. You do the math, universe. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, I don't know what else there's left. <laughs> well, we're done. <laughs> See you guys. No, I think um, even though... Uh, they talked about plans within plans and all that shit last book. I think there are still quite a few like plots going on, mm-hmm. but you never, I feel like in this book, you never really get the story from the, 
perspective of the person that has the power, being the person that knows kind of what's going to happen, that knows the plots. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. A specific example is um, Duncan Idaho, who's the actual Gola in this book, talking to, um, I do not remember his name, he's a dwarf, the also dwarf. sent to Arrakis by the uh, Bene Tlilax, the Tlilaxians, um, who basically sets Duncan Idaho off and makes him prepared to kill Paul when he was not going to do that before. Um, and so that is kind of the scheme, but you only hear that story from kind of Duncan Idaho's perspective at that part of the of the book. So, so yeah, he doesn't reveal the plots until like the very end. Or reveal, yeah, the things that are going on sort of behind the scenes. You're always kind of in the position of the lesser aware um, character in any particular scene. Yeah. Overall. Yeah, I mean, I I think that um, so like all those like I was saying, all those characters we made at the very beginning, I sided with them, and then though you have all these more familiar characters, Paul and Chani and Aaliyah, who are mm-hmm. living in this other world, and I started to be a little bit more on that side, but then when you when we meet this Gola, and we find out it's Duncan Idaho from the first book who was killed, and brought back as a Gola. And then we meet this, was he a dwarf who was also a Gola? Or is he a gnome? What kind he of creature is he? Gola. He, he oh. was just a dwarf yes. that, well, I don't remember that, that one term, but it was the term that he like held a bunch of information. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, there, again, this book is just sort of laden with terminology, which is totally uh, only within the, the universe. Mm-hmm. It's totally Frank Herbert's imagination, his creation, and there's never really a good part, like a good point where he explains, like, this is what this is, and this is what this is. Mm-hmm. So it's all due, you only get information via context. So it was still kind of tough to figure some of that stuff out. So I'm not exactly sure what that the dwarf character was. I don't remember. He definitely was a Tlilaxian agent or of the Bene Tlilax. Yeah, I mean, some some sort of programming had been done to him for sure. So he was, mm-hmm. he was some kind of, I mean, you could, I think you'd safely call him a cyborg essentially because he was, he was purchased like, Oh, he was a reject and he was purchased by a Fremen, right. To fulfill this plot or whatever as part of this. Right. Yeah. They say that he was like purchased and all that, yeah. but it seems like that, that the dwarf character knew more than almost anybody else did. So it seems like even him getting purchased was part of the Twilight plot. Yeah. So it seems like they were the only people that knew what the hell was going on mm-hmm. uh, until, like, the very end when it's sort of more of a resolution. Yeah. Um, well, I was just going to say, like, so I, I felt like that storyline started to emerge with Duncan Idaho and with that B-Jazz, B-Jazz, the dwarf. That storyline started to emerge with them. I felt like Duncan Idaho in particular started to be the character in this book that felt like took on the protagonist role and had this, let's say transformation, transformational narrative in this, in the book. And by the end of it, he's the character there at the very end. He's, he essentially has the hero's journey that maybe Paul had in the last one. But I think at the end of this one, you feel like, Oh yeah, he actually overcame evil and became good or whatever. Like he became redeemed from Agola to Duncan Idaho again. 
And yeah, that was an interesting thing too, because even when we first meet him, so he's this gift from the uh, the guild navigator to Paul. I mean, in the plotting stage, we hear that yes, we're going to give Paul this gift. It's going to be a gola, which again is a, a revenant, uh, like a clone, essentially built out of Duncan Idaho's actual flesh. Mm-hmm. So it's this friend of Paul's that is programmed to do the Bene Tlilax's bidding. Uh, and it's given to Paul, and there's like a caveat early where they say, if he asks, if Paul asks Duncan Idaho, what is your mission, he has to tell him the truth, because yeah. he's also a mentat. And the truth is, he was sent to Paul to undermine him, mm-hmm. to destroy him, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and immediately when they meet Paul and, this, and Duncan Idaho, the Gola, uh, he tells them that. Paul's like, what is your mission? He's like, I'm sent to destroy you. Yeah. And and then Paul says, what do you think I should do? He says, you should send me away. Paul's yeah. like, I'm not going to send you away because you're Duncan Idaho, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, right away, the Gola, Duncan Idaho, or Height, I think is the name that he was given, he's immediately kind of, on one hand, conflicted because he wants to serve the Atreides family uh, and does have some memories of serving Paul but then also has this other programming that we learn about later. So yeah, he's like the real conflicted character, the one that really is set up to have a hero's journey because he has something to sort of fight for, something to be resolved in a way that Paul, who has this prescient vision, can't. Um, mm-hmm. Aelia, who also has a prescient vision, can't really... I mean, they both kind of know what their role is, and they're just kind of playing it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's the only one, kind of, that has almost a real strong sense of free will. So he's kind of allowed to have the hero's journey because he's not tied into, again, a real strong sense of a timeline that has to transpire a certain way, mm-hmm. even though he's programmed to do exactly that. So, it's yeah, it's a lot of battling between that, like what you're destined to do and what you choose to do, and how that all works out. And now it's time for Dyson's Karaoke Corner, 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 Corner. Yay! That's a good new theme song, huh? Yeah. The best theme song I've heard all podcasts. So, Dyson, you've been teaching us all these songs from, you know, all over the universe and from all time. Have you got a song to teach us today? Well, sure, yeah. Uh, I mean, music is a, it's kind of the language can, you know, uh, we can communicate with just music without you know, languages How? in the universe. You know, just, you know, listen to the beautiful rhythm. What do you mean by how? I don't know. Anything about music. I mean, me and, me and John are literally expert beatboxers and freestyle rappers. But w- besides yeah. that, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Okay, so... Um, I think uh, I think still today we need a uh, we need we need a we need a song from to uh, memorize a special man for okay. Earth. His name is David Bowie, and uh, unfortunately he died on the Earth year 2015, January 11th. So 2016. I don't know. I'm not good at math. So. Me either. So we're gonna sing his song. Uh, it's called Starman. 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 Not Superman, Starman. Okay. 
Do you think we should sing that one instead of Shakira, who died this this year for all of us? This very morning. <laughs> this very morn. Today. This day. Okay. One, two, three. There's, There's a, a star man waiting in the sky. He'd like, like to come and meet us, but he thinks he'll blow our minds. There's a star man waiting in the sky. He's told us not to blow it, cause he knows it's all worthwhile. He told me, let the children lose it. Let the children use it. Let all the children boogie. Good song, Dyson. It's a good song. Did, did you write that? Did I what? Write that for David Bowie? I wish. I wish I could do that. What was the quote you said right before we started doing that about how music, it doesn't require language, so that's why it's the best and we can all get yeah. behind it? Yeah, because, you know, if I, if I want to say something to a stand of worms, I can just play a music. I think they will understand <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, Good point. Yeah, just stop him. Killing me, maybe. What would be if, okay, so say you're in the desert and you forgot that, you know, you were just walking at a regular pace and so that sandworm heard you mm-hmm. and it was, you thought it was going to eat you. Mm-hmm. What, in that position, what would be the best song to sing to that sandworm? I think I will, I will play, you know, Eric Clapton's Wonderful Night, you know? And my sandworm, you look wonderful tonight. Yeah, and he'll be happy, maybe, right? I think you do the same song that you just sang, but just change the lyrics. There's a sandworm waiting in the sand. He wants to come and eat us, but he I think that would do it. Yeah, 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 yes, that's a, I will do that, I will do that, actually. And that's been yeah. Dyson's Karaoke Corner, 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 Corner. Thanks, Dyson. That's amazing. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. You clap for yourself, it's pretty selfish. I mean, I was trying to clap too, but you can't really hear it because it's holographic projection, so just my hands go right through each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could, I could feel him hugging me in my lungs. Good. Try to clap your lungs a little bit. Uh, actually, but yeah, that quote that you said about how you don't need language, uh, all you need is songs. Mm-hmm. I think that this book is actually kind of saying the exact opposite of that in some ways. Interesting. There were just so many references to maybe not exactly the importance of language, but in some ways, how language made certain people human. Interesting. There are a lot of, I have, I have a bunch of um, bookmarks in my book, but I don't, I don't exactly have them, uh, I don't know, I don't have enough, good enough notes to really pick out the, the, the proper quotes here, but I guess actually that Bijaz, the, the dwarf yeah. character, um, he was one of the, the first times that I really, really noticed it, but he talks about how I mean, how he is language, I think, is one of his quotes, which is pretty interesting. Hmm. And he, maybe not so much in this book, but in the last book, they talk a lot, a lot about the Bene Gesserit voice yeah. and how using voice inflections, you can 
you know, produce a pretty pr profound impact on people. There's a lot of, and especially early in the book, there's a lot of talk about the tone of, of voice. So even though the content of a message says one thing, uh, the tone of it says something totally different. And the two people in that conversation understood each other and could talk sort of secretly in a crowd that way. Yeah. I'm going to try and look up some of my quotes that I underlined in my book here. Here's one more quote, though, at least. Um, and I'll keep trying to look for, for more of them. But this was, I'm not sure who they were talking about here, but the plotting, self-important language of government enraged him. It had seduced the Fremen. It had seduced everyone. A man, a great man, was dying out there. But language plotted on and on and on. Yeah. So kind of how language has to envelop anything uh, or, or everything. And it seems a little bit like it's Frank Herbert talking about the book itself, like how novels work. It has to be written language, obviously. Yeah. And that's maybe why he, he puts so much importance on the inflection and body language and all these other symbols that are part of conversation that you can't have in a book, or at least not as easily. Even though he mentions them, it's not the same effect as somebody, you know, saying something a particular way yeah. to you as opposed to just reading it on the page. Yeah, there's, um, you know, well, I'll, I'll say, like, there, there's a similar thing I was just looking up about Paul's political role and saying that politics or what, there's this overtone of bureaucracy throughout it that's saying, like, mm -hmm. it's essentially the system or the bureaucracy that's responsible for the slaughter of billions and not necessarily... Paul Atreides as a person. Uh, so there's this quote at some point about you you can't build politics on love or there's this letter from Jessica to Paul or to Chani, I forget, saying something similar like politics or bureaucracy requires this sort of structure that is a little bit inflexible and it's not very nimble and it's not able to adapt. Like it, it, it has a certain structure that it has to be presented in a particular voice, I think we could say, whereas what human interaction requires is, is maybe a different thing that is responsive and flexible and, and nimble on its feet. Right. Yeah, to, to that exact same point, I just found one of my other quotes that I uh, wrote down here, but it's from, it's when Paul is talking to Edric, the guild navigator, I think for the first time, and they're having this conversation conversation that has a lot of stakes to it but Paul says and I don't remember the exact context of why he responds this way but this is audiobook quote I prefer the cynical view end quote Paul said testing you obviously are trained in all the lying tricks of statecraft the double meanings and the power words language is nothing more than a weapon to you and thus you test my armor so I think that's talking about how to, to some people, I mean, language is just this sort of tool of statecraft or, or tool of bureaucracy, but uh, if it doesn't have the sort of necessary components of, you know, love or emotion, it, it sort of ends up being, again, just a tool, something to be used and not something to be believed in or something to be felt. I think that plays in in a big way to the whole book. I think... Uh, Paul and uh, his sister Alia, their big thing is is they're both human. Uh, there's one quote, if I can find it, 
Um, this is from the Reverend Mother early on in the book when it's talking about plotting against them. Another audiobook says, We know his attributes, the Reverend Mother interrupted, and we know about the abomination his sister Alia possesses this gene pattern, but they're also human, both of them. Thus, they have weaknesses. And so I think, I don't know, that humanity is actually really important, and, and a lot of it takes place, or a lot of it is shown through language, but how their particular language maybe has more of this emotion and more of this love within it mm-hmm. uh, that a lot of the other characters, the more bureaucratic characters, don't necessarily mm-hmm. have. Yeah, at, at some point, so that earlier quote I said where Paul said, I belong to a vision, uh, Leah says a similar thing later, which is, I don't want to be a part of history. Like, I don't want to be part of history. Uh, rather, you know, I'd, I'd rather be a person uh, with, with actual personal relationships or, or whatever else. Yeah, that's a, there's a later quote that's uh, from Alia to the Gola Duncan Idaho that says, I don't want to be a part of history. I just want to be loved and that's to love. One. Yep. Wow. Is that the quote you were mentioning, or is that a different quote? Yep, you got it. That's a goodie. All right. I didn't have it Um, in context, though. That's good. Could you you say that again? I don't want to be part of history, she whispered. I just want to be loved and to love. Okay. And this is... uh, That's coming from, like, the second most powerful person in the universe, essentially. Um, Or at least the galaxy, like, the known universe... You know, she has all this power, and she's actually the one that has most of the interaction with, like, the religious sects, essentially. Like, she talks specifically to all of the people that come to the planet uh, Arrakis to sort of worship. But, you know, she has these other emotions, these very human things that, from that quote I said earlier in the book, it seems like people think of it as a weakness, but uh, it turns out, I think that ends up being the strength of them really I mean it saves them from mm-hmm. language and the bureaucracy and can, can pull them away from their prescient vision that is, is driving them down a path of destruction essentially well said alright that's it that's see it. you guys well uh, there's, there's a couple of things I want to talk about from the previous book we talked a lot too about um, so on the planet Dune it's a desert planet but the Fremen have these Sieges. Wait a second. Wait a second. What like, about what about you said it's a it's a desert planet. What about what about Mars? So you know. So is this Dyson's question corner? And exactly. now it's time for Dyson's question corner. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, if if June is a is a is a planet of desert, what about what about Mars? Like uh, how how it compares to Mars? Is that like sort of like looks? Because you know, human beings now nowadays they can explore Mars, you know, just a tiny little bit. I'll open the segment for clarifying questions. Mm-hmm. What about Mars? Mars is a planet of sand, desert. Like, what about doing? Is that bigger? Is that smaller? There's water. What about you know, Mars? I mean, that's my question. Like, you know, you've there been is water, and I think the real difference, even before they had water, I mean, no Mars. was that Arrakis has an atmosphere. Uh, and the way you know that is because they had wind and they had breathable air. Um, it's not maybe specifically mentioned why, like that they did have breathable air, but if they have wind, then they definitely have an atmosphere. So. Whereas Mars maybe doesn't have an atmosphere, is that right? Yep. 
And that concludes uh, Dyson's Question Master Quarter. Quarter. Woo! Woo! So, in Dune... Did that clarify your question, Dyson? Nope. <laughs> and now it's I'm time for Dyson's Question Master no, Corner. Oh. I asked that question. I was, was going to open... for John's Question Corner. <laughs> okay. Now it's John's Question Corner. Do you need a sound effect? Yep. Yeah. Hi, Universe. This is John. Welcome to John's Question Corner. And with me, as always, is Brent and Dyson. Hi, Brent and Dyson. Hi, John. Hi, John. So, Dyson, I have two questions. The first one is, did that answer your question? Actually, a little bit, maybe. I'll change my It's answered a little bit. All right, thanks. Maybe 50%. Uh, second question, what's the best number of legs? That's a what? What's the best number of legs? What's the best number of legs? Yeah. For what? For sandworms? For, for any being. For any... It's not a hard question. It's not a trick question. It, wow, what's... What's... Based on what? Hold on. Hold on. We, have to, we have to go into Dyson's question corner so he can ask that question. It's oh, it's an inception of question corners? Yes. And now for the inception of Dyson question master corner. Whoop! So complicated. What's what's your what's your uh, uh what do you mean by legs for any beings like based on what based on convenient for walking or you know maybe uh I don't know laying down or what or what kind of behavior like you know and that was Dyson's question corner. Whoop. Um, and now back to John's question corner. Just just in general, the best number of legs for everything for for being for being alive. I think I think the answer is none. None? Yeah, it's just you know floating like like a like a spaceship or something. They don't have legs. It's just floating. And now it's time for my axe to grind. <laughs> this week on my axe to grind, I have with me as always Brent and this week a special guest Dyson. Hi, Brent and Dyson. Hi, John. Hey, John. So this week, my extra grind has to do with Dyson not knowing how many fucking legs a being should have in this universe. The correct answer is two. That should have, that should have been a listener challenge within this whole thing. Because there's a number, and numbers have to do with listener challenges. But the right answer is two, and never forget it. And that's my extra grind on Dyson's legs. Why two? Dyson's and now it's for <laughs> Dyson's Question Master Corner. Wait, seriously, why two? John, do you have any uh, clarifying questions? We need to go to a segment. Clarifying questions to this question? Uh-huh. No, two is the right number of likes to have. Okay, now we, we have this endless loop. And thanks for being a part of the inception of Dyson's Karaoke Corner. Whoop! And thanks for being a part of John's Question Corner. And okay, thanks so for being a part of... Before we get outside of Dyson's question quarter for the first one, I just had to take a moment to say how much I really love Carolyn's Sweet Tea. It's the sweetest tea in the galaxy, and it really gets me through all of these questions and all of these corners. And we're back. And thanks for being a part of Dyson's Question Master Corner. Woo! Woo! So no one answered my question. 
We just ask more questions to each other. Well, anyway, where were we? Was that a... What was the original question? I don't even remember. This is not going to be a corner. No segments. No tangents. we got to keep this thing on track. <laughs> Excuse me, I need some napkins. Yep. Uh, and okay. that was Dyson Spit Take Corner. <laughs> Sorry, friend. Not on purpose. Not not intended. So, question. Oh, I've got an answer. Liet Kynes in the previous book was saying that. For Dune to be green and productive, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to grow stuff, it's going to take 500 years. Paul forced it in 12, basically. And, and so the, I think that there is this other idea similar to him, you could say, making the jihad happen. There's the same thing that he's doing physically to the planet of Dune, where, yeah, it is, it's growing stuff, it's raining, there's water. Maybe that water is killing sandworms. We don't know. Um, and so, like, what what is, again, what is the end result of Paul as this god ruler of Dune and of the universe? What, what is the outcome, essentially? And, and so maybe part of the reason we haven't seen any sandworms is Paul's killing them with water. What a jerk. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that actually brings up one of the, this is just a little bit of an aside. I, I didn't actually know who was responsible for the, what the hell was it called? The, uh, the nuclear device, oh. the, the fire, or the stone burner. Stone burner. Yeah, I don't know who's, who was responsible for that. I don't know either. When I was trying anyway. to summarize it to, D, to Dyson, I actually, I couldn't figure out who actually set that thing off. Uh, so that was kind of interesting, but I think... The end result of that was that they stole a sandworm. Yes. Right? Yeah, and there was talk of people planning on doing that earlier on in the book. Because um, if you steal a sandworm, you can make spice. Like, that's wow. that's kind of the whole point, is the sandworms convert the melange into a consumable drug for your everyday user. How do you do that, by the way? You know, a sandworm would look like a sausage. What can, what can I do? And now it's time for Dyson's Question Master Corner. Do you have a question, Dyson? Yeah. Can we do a science experiment to make a sandworm to a to a spice? You want to do a, a science experiment? Yeah. Just you know, make just show the method a little bit. Like how you do that? You you you, you boil the sandworm. Okay. You, what's the specific question? You know how you how how you gotta like make a sandworm turn a sandworm into a into some spice? John, you got a sandworm over there we can use. Uh, yeah, I do, but it's only a holographic projection one. It's not, it's not, uh, corporeal, so it wouldn't be useful for a good science experiment. Okay, well. I mean, uh, just, just, uh, I think we talked about that a lot, actually, in the last book, how we, yeah, because that's why we were convinced that this book would be all about how spice was produced, was because, like, how the hell did that happen? I don't know, is it, is it maker poop? Worm poop, essentially. I think it is I'm here. Really Tell you what, we can we can do an experiment with um. Hey Dyson, have you got one of your just regular worms? Okay. And John, you got some of that Carol and sweet tea. I always got Carol and sweet tea because it's the sweetest tea in the galaxy. 
And we're back. And we're back. Yes, I have some. <laughs> Thanks. Give me that. Give me. Give me a worm, Dyson. Who you are? Slimy, gross. Uh, and uh, John, give me some of that uh, sweet tea, please. Here you go. Thank you. And oh, just, sweet, delicious. Oh yeah, that worm's just sucking it up. Loves it. And uh, just if we wait a minute, it'll something'll come out the back end of that worm. I mean, is it and now it's Carolyn's sweet meat tea. What? What a twist! That's how they make it. Yeah, secret ingredient, secret filtration. It's a, it's like distilling, basically. Sure. Okay, that will answer my question. And that ends we this segment of Dyson's Question Master Corner. Okay, I, I have a question. Do we have to go to a corner, or do you get there? Uh, no, I'll, I'll sit here on the open. It's fine. Okay. I don't, need, I don't need a corner around me. Sure. I got no strings. Um, so, one of the other things that we talked about a lot in the episode Herb and Lynn was about, well, there, well I, I think I said at some point that there weren't a lot of strong female characters. We talked a lot about dudes and, and how there were a lot of dudes in the narrative previously in, in Dune and in the movies. So I was definitely paying a lot of attention in this one to in the opening sequence, and I think throughout there actually were a lot more uh, women in this book. However, my question I think is, and I definitely have some ideas about this, but of those women, you know, we've got Chani, we've got Aaliyah, Princess Arulan to some extent, and then just some other extraneous characters. I would say those were the three main ones who all had pretty main roles in the book however i'm curious john i guess i think just what your impression was about how their roles were treated like let's say in comparison to just some of the other the guys in the book maybe i, I have an answer uh, to you but that was my question well i mean i do think that they do have a certain amount of power in this book that maybe we didn't see in the last one but it's still always kind of, always kind of led by either this character will provide the continue the bloodline, provide an heir, or well, and or will be treated kind of as this weirdly sexualized character. Yep. Um, I mean, they talk about like Alia, who's Paul's younger sister. Yeah. Who, I don't know if they say her specific age at any point in time, but uh, she's younger. Yeah. Because uh, she was just born at the end of the last book, so she'd be she's, like... She's 15, just, I think. Yeah, and there's like a weird sexual tension between them mm-hmm. uh, and the Reverend Mothers, or the Bene Gestrip, kind of are seeking maybe that bloodline, like those two to get together and have an heir, because it will continue this bloodline that they've been sort of shaping for thousands of years. So yeah. she's treated that way, and then Chani, I mean, the time that she comes in the book, it's it's mainly talking about either she can't produce an heir that Paul wants, or then does get pregnant, but then the, they're sort of waiting on her to have her kid, ends up having twins. Um, but then Paul is worried about what's going to happen when she has a child, because he knows more about what's going to happen to her than she does. So it's still kind of, yeah. I mean, even though I think the females do play a more prominent role, it's still a pretty stereotypical role as like the 
you know, uh, the mother or the provider of more kin, essentially. Yeah. I don't mean to put you in spot, but I, you know, I, I only bring that up because I, I thought the same thing. And I, especially, I, I, again, I think I was just aware of that and sort of looking for that because of Dune and how, even though there was like this matriarchy of Benny Gesserit, but then Paul, the boy kind of saves the day. So mm-hmm. I, I was definitely just aware of that. Uh, so, you know, so early on there's this, when we see Princess Arulan for the first time, uh, she's, what does it say? A tall blonde beauty. Uh, although I will say one of my favorite things is that <clears throat> every time we see her, she's wearing a, a whale fur jacket. It's made out of whale fur. Just pretty baller. But then... Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but And then later on, when we're... Maybe even when before we've seen Aaliyah, but that conspirator group is talking about her, and they're talking about making this gola and how to undo Paul. They're saying, like, oh, well, we also got to undo her. And they're like, well, she's just at that ripe age where you just throw any old man in there and she's going to go crazy. And I was a little bit frustrated with that because as I was reading Aaliyah's character, I really thought, like, this could be a really strong woman, like a really strong character. That's 100% what I'm attracted to is strong women. Uh, But then completely throughout this book, they... And to be clear, I said she was 15 a second ago. Uh, she's a fictional character, and um, just uh, you seven-legged paper types <laughs> always after the nymphettes. That's right. You want, you want a strong, strong woman because you're just paper, and you can get ripped to shreds by a strong gust of wind. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why you you said it. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so I, I really had these hopes for her to, to really be a strong character. And I think that to some extent she was, but then there was also just this thing of like, uh, but yeah, the the first, the first, uh, I think they said, first charming man, like to send her way, you know, she's just going to go bonkers. And, and, you know, so she does kind of pair up with Duncan Idaho by the end. And I wouldn't say that, that was her undoing or anything. I think she's still a fairly strong character, but mm-hmm. certainly... At the end, Duncan Idaho, I think, comes through as, like, the hero, and uh, and she's a little bit relegated to the end. Chani dies in childbirth. Princess Arulan, I'm, I, you know, she just kind of fades away, actually, in the narrative. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, when, when you say that, one of the last pages, like, I think the second to last page, um, one of Alia's last quotes is, I need you, Duncan. Love me. Beautiful. Uh, do you want to? Yeah, it seems like. What's that? I mean, if you want to, just role play that a little bit, you know. We could role play what happens right after that. Who's gonna be uh, Alia Dyson? Oh, Dyson's gonna be a sandworm. Okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna be who? I don't know. Do you want to be Alia Duncan Stilgar? Whoever you want. Who are we actually role playing? Because what I just that quote that I put in there was from Alia to Duncan. Okay, which one of them do you want to be? Uh, I mean, I mean, actually, Carole want to be. You can be Carolyn and also be... Duncan. Okay, I'm into that. Okay, I'll be Aaliyah, and Dyson's gonna be a sandworm. Yeah, featuring Dyson as a sandworm. All right. Okay, where 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 were you reading that? Because all that's how we'll start. <laughs> I'm podcast gold. Okay. Yep, we haven't had a lot. Of, we haven't had podcast gold in a long time. Do you want to? Uh, there was.
Nailed it. Podcast gold. Yeah. The shiniest gold in all podcast universe. I love you, Duncan. Love me. I do. Oh, no. It's a sandworm. Let's feed it some sweet tea. That'll take care of it. Hey, I'm Corellin, and I here have some Corellin sweet tea. You look parched, you giant worm. Splash. Thank you. I'll, I'll sing to it while you splash it into the sandworm's face. <sighs> splash. One of the main ingredients in Corellin's sweet tea is water, and as we all know, water is poisonous to the sandworms. The sandworm dies. And I, I will always love you. Insane. <laughs> Good job. Good job, everybody. That so that shows, I mean, Corellin, who we don't know if it's a guy or a girl, and if you, if you want to know anything about that, listen to last week's podcast. Yeah. Uh, he, she really saves the day. So I can show you, there can be strong female or hermaphroditic characters. You just got to go to a different universe. I would say, yeah. Universe. I would say Dunk Idaho in our role play had the fourth, um, fourth role. And that sandworm was definitely female. That sandworm brought it. I mean, let's be looking really? at the space Oscars. Absolutely. Do we, do we need to have a space Oscars, Oscars segment? And now, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for the, the 10,001st Space Oscars. Here's our presenters, John Love and Dyson. Sorry, gang. John couldn't make it today. I'm Oscar the Grouch 3.0. Wow. In the space Oscars, only people named Oscar can give out Oscars. And I'm Oscar the Grouch 3.0. And with me is Oscar Isaac. Hi, guys. What are we doing here? Thanks, Oscar Isaac. We're giving out the awards for the best Oscars of the year. This year, we only have one award to give out because there's not that many people named Oscar around anymore. Aww. And the winner of the Oscar of the Year is Oscar Isaac. <laughs> for his role as Sandworm number one. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to play the role of Sandworm because the only thing, the only language he knows is just, <laughs> it sounds like throw up, so... It's, I mean, thanks for the nomination and thanks for the universe. Thank you, guys. And thanks for joining us on beautiful Space Hollywood. We'll see you next year. Good night. On Hollywood Squares. <laughs> Good segment. What were Boy, talking about? I like it, yeah. The, how the book ends, I think. Oh, Nice. Well, I guess, okay, John, do you want to make uh, predictions for exactly what happens in the next book in the Dune series? Yes, I do. Okay. How uh, many, how many is the total? To start. Okay, Dyson. And was that a <laughs> We We cannot look, you know, make it looks, look like, you know, make it Connor. I mean, I can just, you know. Okay, ask a regular question, I guess. Yeah, how many, how many is a, is a, how many books are in a series? How many did Frank write? 
Uh, six or seven, John? Do you know? Really? No, I, I think six. I'm not positive. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, su- I suggest you'll try a website called Wikipedia. What's that? <laughs> it's um, it's um, it it just can't answer all the questions. Oh, you mean Wikipedia 9.0? Oh, I saw. That's not a word. I, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Dyson, what do you think happens in the next book exactly? Well, I, I think I don't know. It's it's kind of like it's always building up, right? It's not the annual or the series, right? It's it's kind of in the middle of the. I don't know. We read Dune. We read Dune Messiah. What's next? <laughs> yeah, what's next? Okay, here's a hint. It's called Children of Dune. <laughs> where where did all the sandworms go? You know, like. Where did all the sandworms go? Same music is beyond language. We can just communicate with. We just proved it. Yeah, we just did. Okay, so where did all the sandworms go? Answer the question, John! Is the big Sherlock Holmes question for Children of Dune. So you think that's going to be the content of the book? There's six in the original series by Frank Herbert, by the way. I think that there's going to be children in it. That's baby got that. He had twins. We know, he had twins. Yeah, we know the name of names of those children. Yeah, Leo which include and uh, I don't remember, but I'm I'm sure that's who it's going to be about. Which is maybe well, I don't know. It seems kind of weird. Like it seems like it's pretty well set up for. Duncan Idaho and Alia to be the main characters in the next book, but apparently it's going to the kids. Yeah, it's a young, it's a young man's sand world. So why, why is a? I mean, it's a, it's a great book. It's a, it's a great series. So why is a? I feel like its influence is less than Star Wars. Because Star yeah. Wars is a movie, and people don't like to read long books, especially ones that are pretty complicated, and especially ones that don't tell you what the fuck is going on until halfway through the first book, and then you have to read five more books. Yeah. I think my real question is, did David Lynch did a bad job on making the movie? I liked it. Yeah, I I don't know if he did a bad job, but it it definitely... The thing about Star Wars is that it was originally filmed, so like all of the good content was designed for the medium of film. Uh, it was designed for mass audiences. It was designed to be experienced in that way. Mm. Um, whereas David Lynch just turning this super long book into one movie, mm. there's no possible way that it's going to, like, all of the really important points are going to translate quite as well. And I think Dune is more complicated than the Star Wars universe. Um, there's a lot more intrigue. There's a lot more plots. There's yeah. a lot more people trying to fight for power. It's not as clear-cut between, like, who the good guys and who are the bad guys in this movie. Yeah. Which I, I think audiences, like, mass audiences don't respond to quite as well. Because mm-hmm. in Star Wars, you know, like, Luke Skywalker is the guy to root for. There's yeah. no question. Like, he's going to be good from mm-hmm. start to finish. You can believe in him in the way that there's no character in this book that, that I think you really can. Even though Paul in the movie is obviously, like, the good guy, mm-hmm. in the book it's not quite it's not quite written that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that that particular character loses some of the subtleties and really important, interesting points from the book translated to the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, makes sense. So I don't think he did a bad job, but I just think that he kind of had some disadvantages going in. 
that makes sense. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, everyone in America just they know Star Wars, but not all of them like talk about Dunes. I mean, in the nineteen eighties, China. In nineteen eighties, when I was studying United States, USA. Yeah. Oh, where Han Solo was president. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think, boy, if I'm sorry that you brought this question up because I'm gonna spend the next equally long to the actual Star Wars movies talking about what I think about them. Star Wars documentary. Yeah, I think in Children of Dune, what's gonna happen is uh, is little Leto is gonna move away from uh, Arrakis. He's gonna go to a crazy spaceport and meet a, a smuggler. Uh, space pirate and his furry friend and they're going to have all kinds of adventures and uh, and finally he's going to kiss his sister but he doesn't know it's his sister and then there's going to be uh, That was almost the plot of this book Actually, wait a minute, yeah Am I just exactly describing Dune Messiah? Seems like it Except no C-3PO's Right, which is a damn shame Yeah I think uh, exactly what you just said. That's going to happen in Children of Dune, except because the name works out so well, uh, the male twin, Leto, is going to be Princess Leia character, and the uh, female child, whose name is... I still can't find it. It was a really complicated name. So basically, at the end of uh, Dune Messiah, Chani, Paul's real wife dies in childbirth but she has twins and that's what the next book's gonna be about i'm sure and then paul dies yeah Spoilers. yeah yeah um you know i yeah. i i do think that one more thing just as i'm looking at the book and seeing how things end and i think if we think about duncan idaho as maybe the main protagonist or the one that really actually i think is maybe one of the most dynamic characters in this book at the end so he's a, a Gola. He's like a kind of a resurrected Golem, cyborg, whatever character. But at some point, he's had these trigger words set in his mind. So whenever Paul says them, he's basically been hypnotized and he's supposed to then kill and attack. Not in that order, attack and then kill Paul. But at that moment, he's able to break with that you know he hears that happen and he sees paul and and paul calls him duncan by name and says free yourself from the gola duncan and duncan says in his question corner how and then paul says you're human do a human thing and i i think actually in that way you know a lot like back in sirens of titan actually with that uh salo salo and so when when, when Salo breaks his uh, computer programming or computer parts or robot parts rather, sorry, to do a human act, I felt like that that same change with Duncan Idaho was very similar here, where he transgresses his Gola programming or engineering and does a human act, and in that very moment becomes Duncan Idaho, becomes a human being, and so in that sense, I think that he actually is, again, as you were saying much earlier, breaks the mold and, and is able in that moment or breaks the bureaucracy or breaks the jihad as others experience it and is able to just become his human self. But then the uh, the kind of interesting thing that I saw as far as like the 
uh, the Bene Flylax being the real um, sort of masterminds behind the plot of this whole book. Yeah. Is is then again that Bijaz the uh, the dwarf comes in later when Duncan Idaho is uh, a, a lot like fully Duncan Idaho, fully human again. Uh, not I mean he's essentially not a Gola anymore. He is Duncan Idaho. That Bijaz comes up to Paul and tries to barter with him, saying, you know, Chani just died in childbirth. We can obviously bring her back as a Gola that will eventually become Chani again. Uh, and so tries to, you know, essentially bargain with Paul for her life, you know, so that Paul will essentially be uh, a subject to whatever the, fly, the Bene Flylax want to mm-hmm. trade for him. Um, and actually, even right before that, uh, that Sightail again comes in and is going to kill both of the kids unless Paul yeah. um, decides to again make that that exact same trade. And then Paul, even though he's been blinded earlier in the book, uh, probably throws a knife and kills Sightail. Um, and then after that, uh, again, that's when the, that Bijaz character comes in and tries to make the same trade. But then what they say is. Uh, to Duncan Idaho, I think they mentioned like what would happen if I would have actually killed Paul there the way that I was kind of originally trained. That oh, we would have made the same deal to Alia. Yeah. So it still seemed like the Benet Flylax kind of had the upper hand the whole time, and then Paul, <laughs> using his like human decision making process, just said no. Chani, my wife, is dead. I'm not going to try and bring her back because that would just cause more chaos, more bloodshed on my hands. And then he goes and walks out into the desert mm-hmm. and dies. Well, just to, actually, just to jump onto what you said quickly, um, so he doesn't have his own vision, but because his twin babies were born with the same, you know, presence that, like, Aaliyah was born mm-hmm. that same way, so he can see through his son's eyes, like, they share that in common. So, but But anyway, when... When the twins, I guess, show up, Paul didn't realize he was having twins. He thought he was just having a kid. He hadn't seen that in his vision. He realizes there's two kids. Paul, one of these internal monologues or thoughts, Paul thinks, this is another world. And and I think that that same idea, like, there's there's literally, in the multiverse, right, there's, like, different realities that could play out, and so the fact that two kids have happened instead of one changes the course of history or future history, however Paul sees it. And so literally in that moment creates a new reality or a new world. And and I think that for Paul, as, as you say, that does indicate the moment of his human choice to go walk in the desert, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, uh, that, that, I mean, that whole thing actually reminded me of the last book we read, Childhood's End, because it's a lot of that similar struggle between man and this sort of future that's set up for him that he thinks that he can't escape or that the higher mind knows he can't escape. And it really seems like throughout this whole book that Paul is kind of on the back foot that the Bene Tleilax know more about what's going to happen than he does, even though he has his prescience, because it's mentioned that he loses his prescience or it goes black at this certain point, which is ostensibly when he actually passes away. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
but but you know he does make a decision. Things do happen. Human choice makes a difference, and eventually kind of wins out. Again, Paul um, doesn't survive this book, but he sets humankind on a path that they're still sort of their own masters in a way that the the previous book, Childhood's End, wasn't the case. Yeah. But yeah, I uh, I like this book. It's a it's a great book. About time well, for... I, I think we have one last segment, actually. Yeah. Which what was it called? It's uh, called Radiant, Radiant Rainbow. Rainbow. Uh, take a look. look. Radiant Rainbow. Rainbow. All right. So, hi, Brent and Dyson. My name's John. Nice to meet you. Oh, nice to meet you, too. Am I doing this right? Hi, John. You're doing Welcome. great. Welcome. <laughs> Universe and welcome to Universe. Uh, this week on Rating Systems, Rating Rainbow, uh, we have Dude Messiah by Earth author Frank Herbert, written in Earth Year 1969. Um, I'm gonna give it to my boy Dyson and ask him for his rating on this book. Dyson, what would you rate this book? Uh, uh, how many? Uh, what's a what's a uh, Welcome to Dyson's Rating Corner. Uh, Welcome to Dyson's Question Corner. Uh, uh, the rating system. How about uh, 4.9 stars? Based on... Out of, out of how many? Five. Oh. That's a good rating. Uh, thanks, Dyson. Now, Brent, what would you rate this book? So, I, I actually want to rate this book... Assuming that we might go back to the Duneverse sometime, I'd like to rate this, I guess, just in a scale with the other Dune books. So I'm going to say of the two Dune books that we've read so far, I like Dune the most and Dune Messiah the second most. Thanks, Brent. What a good rating. Uh, and I'm going to give this book a solid 1.5 legs out of 2 legs. And that concludes this week's Rating Systems or Rating Rainbow, whatever we decided it was called last week. Take, Take a, a look. look. It's in it's a book. book. Rating, Rating Rainbow. Rainbow. That's a good segment, John. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad we have it. Yeah, I like the same song. We wrote it. It's, cute. it's original. It's cool. Yeah, it's totally original. Don't tell LeVar Burton that, though. Okay. Because he, his head's the same size as hers. Mm-hmm. He could eat us like a sandworm and poop us out. <laughs> and make a delicious spice. Yeah, that must be the way. I mean, they can't, they can't you know, cut the sandworm into pieces, and that just became a one-time deal, right? Right. There are only two sandworms. It must poop. I think sandworms are exactly like regular worms, where if you cut them in half, you get two. I don't know. That's Hopefully that's what's in Children of Dune. <laughs> yep. Is that what you've been doing in your in your time cage, Dyson, so that you get to eat more worms? Yeah. I eat uh, children of sandworms. Children of sandworms. <laughs> that's what nice. I'm doing. Well, Dyson, seriously, thank you for being here with us today. I realize uh, you didn't have uh, time in your time cage to read Dune Messiah, but I appreciate you sticking around and... and Doing you. Appreciate you rating it so high, considering you didn't read it. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll read the Children of Dune for sure. In, uh, in 10 years, maybe, I don't know. 
Well, you heard it here first, Universe. Yeah. Uh, well, we've got only uh, one more thing to do then, and that's wrapping it out. That's right. Dyson, are you going to rap? He definitely is. You want to lay down All a right. beat? I'll lay down a beat. Whoever wants to rap can hop on and it. And I'll start. Yo. 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 Yo, I'm from the planet called Dune. This place is going to be my tomb. Live in the desert with the Benny Gesserit. They... I'm the mob dip to the Fremen. They've been giving me that name. And also my blue eyes. Blue on blue. I see you. Dyson. Universe. Yo. Universe. Yo. Yo. What's up? It's a whole universe. Sandworm. You know, two. It has a name. Sandworm. Yep. 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 My name is Sidetip. I'm a face dancer. My name is Rudolph. I'm a friend of Prancer. That's a reindeer. There's no reindeer on Arrakis. It's a doing planet. It's the planet of the sand. It's the planet of crayons melted because it's hot. Waxy, like a lot. There's a lot of wax and crayons, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of sayings on this planet. Fremen sayings. Bene Gesserit sayings. Princess Rulon sayings. Mwadib sayings. Mwadib things. That's right, I said things in a weird way. That's right, I got a beard, hey? That's right, I'm still Gar, the Fremen. You see me with my still suit. Drinking lemonade. I meant to rhyme that with lemons, but I messed up because I'm a dumb Fremen. Not saying Fremen are dumb, just saying I'm a human bum. I'm a holographic projection. I, I can't take rejection good. Let's see how long I'm going to keep this beat going with my still suit hood. Let's see how long I can drink BT with my friends in the woods. Let's see how long I can keep yelling until it's good. Let's see how long this rap's gonna go. I wish it would end. See ya. See ya. Later, bye. Here's my song for the asking. Ask me and I will play So sweetly I'll make you smile This is my tune for the taking Take it, don't turn away I've been waiting
Life on more. 